Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is a crowd podcast. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, former Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny Beatty, and five-time European Cup finalist, Benjamin Kayser, as we're calling him every week now, I think. <laughs> we'll get on to talking about the Champions and Challenge Cup finals shortly after French teams did the double in those competitions for the first time since 1997. And we've got a Champions Cup winning guest from the weekend joining us as well a little bit later on with an incredible tale to tell. So we'll get to that as well. But... We've also got some big news to not really break because it's not been announced yet, but we think, don't we, Benji? French rugby, the top 14, may be coming back to UK screens. Well, we think actually the dreams and the hopes of all our precious, precious listeners have been answered. There's not a week that goes by without a message sent up that, how the hell do we watch top 14? Well, either you do like me, which is don't tell anyone, but illegally. I use my, 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 <laughs> I use, no, no, not illegally. I just use, I use French codes, <laughs> but, but internet doesn't pick it up anymore. So it's okay. You watch it online. Then there's finally uh, a basically a, a, a channel over in the UK that sees the absolute exquisite uh, spectacle that is top 14, that it's going to only get going to get bigger and bigger until 2023. And they finally decide to, to show it. So my little finger tells me that somebody did. And I think that is particularly smart and well played. And I can't wait for people to showcase everything that we see. Probably more on that next week. But um, Johnny, if you, you've submitted all of our CVs, yeah, they're all obviously they're all a, lo- a long time ago. Look, Benji's little pinky and my whole arm. Um, <laughs> I've been saying we're, we're, we're definitely, we're mad as mustard. We're keen as mustard. Um, look, it's been two, three seasons now that it hasn't been shown at all in the UK. Um, and it's a bit desperate. Like everybody knows it's one of the best leagues, the best French players, massive foreigners, and look, there's carnage in one way or another every single week. So it's good viewing. So look, I'm just delighted. Hopefully it's been picked up. And I know all of our listeners have been saying they're desperate to be back on their screen. So hopefully from next season in the UK and Ireland, you'll be able to watch it. The only issue is that we're going to get called out for talking so much shit because for the last year, People we've been watch. inventing, <laughs> inventing everything that we've been saying. So there's, there's no more, you know, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. We've got a new sponsor on board, haven't we, Benji? 
We do, mate. We do. Listen, uh, the French are known for their joie de vivre, obviously. Their, their <laughs> poetry, their wine, but massive about their food. But yeah, we've got something for everyone to cook as a Frenchman. So the meter is the world's first best wireless smart meat thermometer. My length shoulder has never tasted better. I can pretend that I'm like an absolute rock star. I can finally make my password proud. And Johnny, you're cooking like a Frenchman now, aren't you? Are you using the meter? I enjoy Cote de Boeuf pretty much every weekend, which isn't easy to do. So look, it removes all the faff out of it. When I have French families over, they can maybe judge me for being a British cook, but this sort of passes me off as a, as a French cook. I get it right every weekend now. So no, it's helping me in saving my bacon on my plancha at the weekend. Absolutely. It takes all the guesswork out of cooking, whether it's in the oven or in the barbecue. And if you want to bring your A-game to the table this summer, like Johnny and Benji, you can get your hands on a meter with 10% off by using the code FRENCHPOD10 at meter.com. That's the code FRENCHPOD and the number 10 at meter.com. Raise the stakes with Meter and Le French Rugby Podcast. Hello, I'm Garrett Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And this is your official invite to come and join our brand new cycling club. Now, good news, it's a podcast too. So you can come and listen to us, try and build this club from scratch. And we'll have a few familiar faces joining us for the ride too. Right, G, time to tell everyone what we've called this club. Well, we thought long and hard about this. So we come up with a strong original name that really stands out. The Garen Thomas Cycling Club. Yeah, I suppose it's easy to remember at least, isn't it? We will have new episodes for you every single Tuesday. Come and join us. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's have a look at the European finals now then. And um, we bumped into each other at Twickenham on Saturday, didn't we, Benji? You were there pitch side for both finals. So did you have a good weekend with the fans at Twickenham? Oh, mate, it was awesome. We'll talk about it. Ask me later how my week was because I had a great week also. Pretty intense, but finally with some sort of uh, London face-to-face interactions with, you know, I don't know, business, friends, mates, restaurants, whatever, and a shit ton of wine, obviously. Don't tease us, Benji. Tell us now. Yeah, we can't (laughs) wait. I can't wait. Get out. All right. On Wednesday at lunch, I had lunch at the table at which the Queen had her 89th birthday. Try to beat that one. They've got four football pitchers worth of wine cellars 
in the center of London. It's a place like I've never seen before. It's 365 years old. Uh, it's it's going down to the, the like first, you, you know, tea and coffee were the hot things. Then it was spirit and then wine became gold, basically. So it's just full of history, full of crazy knowledge, beautiful scenery. Everything that I like about England, because it, it, there is a bit of wine. wine on top of it. <laughs> it's like history, tradition, but very relaxed, very chill, not snobbish at all. For, yeah, full full of uh, of historical heritage, and and I had the best lunch ever. What did you have? Oh, I can't even remember, but I know that we drank some Bourgogne, which was <laughs> absolutely outstanding. That uh, I'm not a Burgundy guy, to be honest, and it was just to die for. And then to answer your question about Twickenham, Twickenham was exquisite. Not the best quality of rugby on either game, but to 10,000 fans, the Cathedral of Rugby took it in. Uh, both teams or four teams who properly went at each other. Uh, Challenge Cup final wasn't e extraordinary in terms of rugby production, yes, but boy, did Montpellier won it. Uh, so I wasn't pitched out, I was doing the comms. And at the end for the French TV, we saw Guillaume Girardeau and stuff. They were all in tears. Girado was, was crying in the arms of Forleta, the loose head prop, the young buck from, from Perpignan, with Benoît Payot. Fufu Odraogo was absolutely in tears. Mohamed Altrad uh, announced that he's going to stay in Montpellier for the next 10 years, which is go <laughs> good and bad. But, you know, it's, it's always exciting. I promise you, it, there was genuine, genuine relief and happiness. And it was, it, it was awesome to see. You could tell that Bismarck Duplessis was playing his last minutes of top-level rugby, and he was chuffed to get that title. And it, those just beautiful moments. And you, you genuinely saw it. Like, Again, Cobus Renac, André Pollard, nine and ten of only the world champions, and they were jumping like seventeen-year-olds, and it, that was, it was just delightful to see. I'm really happy for Philippe Saint-André and all his staff and stuff, and so they did well. And then obviously on Saturday, then the game was bigger and brighter, not more extraordinary rugby, and we'll we'll get into it after. But ten thousand people, ten thousand people, boys. How good. That was genuinely good. And a lot of people absolutely pissed to their minds after the game, wobbling about, singing <laughs> stupid songs, pulling their pants down, everything we like about rugby. Johnny, any um, any lunches with the Queen or what did you make of the, the finals? <laughs> I thought you want to give you oh, mine. You, you, remember what crap. I said to you? Remember what I said to you? Don't get the truth and get away with a good story. Exactly. I had lunch yeah. with the Queen on Wednesday. <laughs> Picking up from last week where I said I was going to spend the week doing my deck and removing bamboo. That's exactly what I did. So it was nothing compared to what Benji's been up to. It's been extremely sad. <laughs> Had. Um, I even had to give away tickets that I had for both games to mate. So got photos of them having beers and enjoying it and loving life. And Luke watched it with my neighbours. Bizarrely, had a couple of beers, another Cote de Boeuf, another weekend in southern France. Nothing really changes. And like you said, Benji, like the actual, in terms of the spectacle, the rugby wasn't fantastic. But what it meant to them, like both sides at the end, you could see the absolute delight. Intermax, Dupont, like their confirmation, they're here. It's their time, basically, and absolutely was. Um, and we'll get into the game at the minute. I wanted to ask you, Benji, going back to what you talked about last week, about how you sort of had some regrets about not putting it all out there or not giving it everything. For me, it looked like game plans abandoned and everybody just putting everything into physicality, fight, and wanting it more than the other side. Yeah. Montpellier did a terrific job in the Challenge Cup final, but Leicester just did not play any rugby. Uh, I mean, even when they had penalty advantages and stuff, George Ford would still kick the ball in the corner and stuff. I just wouldn't really understand what was going on because when they did play, They've got this Kelly guy who plays 12. They've got um, Mo uh, Matias Moroni, bloody hell, the Argentinian, who tackles like an animal. Uh, they've got uh, the, the, the fullback. fullback which I rate him Stewart, as well, like, the young kid. Man, he's really good, incredible in the air and stuff. And I was excited to see them. Nadolo barely had a, a ball and all that. But 
So basically, I was just frustrated because I just felt they played with a little bit of a, a le frame, a little bit of handbrake, handbrake in terms of 100%. a little bit of 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 a lack of, you know, I, I, I don't want to get scared. I don't want to take a risk. I don't want to take the chance to do it. Eddie Jones, did it look well, like they've been coached by, and mate, they kicked everything. So I was watching it thinking, if you're a Tigers fan, right, in terms of spectacle and what you want, their driving mall was insane. But then... Yeah. There was nothing off the back of it. I'm like, you've just yeah. demolished a French pack and you've got 30 meters of game line. Do something with the ball. And they just didn't. It was the strangest thing, like you said. And again, like I know they've got a good kicking game, but like they kicked the ball to death. I'm like, if you just tried something a little bit different, I think they could have won. Yeah. But I was delighted Montpellier did because the journey Montpellier, well, again, both sides are on a journey, but the journey Montpellier have been on, the confidence that they've gained over the past two months, the job that Philippe Saint-André has done, you could just tell when they got ball in hand in areas where they felt they could play, they played. And that was the difference. The two teams who won are the one who who just seized a little bit more the opportunity. Romain Tamak had one incredible pass and he nailed it. But even Toulouse didn't really take a chance. I mean, we were looking at the game from, I was pitch side, so you know, you get the, the, the images all the time. And even when after Botia got sent off for absolutely murdering Max Medar, they didn't play. They didn't take a chance, you know? So I think there was a sense of it's a final. We do not want to lose it. And we're gradually going to get there. But still, both teams who delivered and who seized the title at the end are the ones who, just when they've sniffed it, or teams or players, just when they sniffed it, they seized that opportunity and it's well-deserved. And you mentioned Botia's red card, Benji. Obviously, as clear-cut as it gets, pretty, oh, pretty shuddering to all watching, let alone being involved in it. Should Maxim Medar have been removed straight away because he played 150%, on for oh. 150%. 150%. So I was doing it for BT. We were bit side, but as soon as the game is on, you go up to a box so that we can have all the screens. And we could, so we could watch it inside or outside. And, you know, you still have your earpiece. In the earpiece, you see the live commentary, but the TV is four seconds later. So I, I was going losing my stuff. So I just took my earpiece <laughs> I went outside. And just as we went outside and we were walking to the middle, the hit happened. I swear to you, I heard a bone break from the stands. It, I've never oh. heard, not seen, heard such a, a, a full-on impact. It, it's like a tree, you know, a tree starts falling down. He goes, Krah! that's the noise that it made. I, I, oh, I actually, I was, I was looking at Max and I was thinking, please get up. F- forget about the red card. I was like, I hope he's okay. It's a car crash. And it really got me scared. And to be honest, his his head, you know, properly waxed back. He's on the floor for a couple of seconds. How the hell that in that moment, in that what that minute, maybe that it took him to change the decision? How the hell didn't they pull Max Meda off? I think that's that's really absolutely careless. And I don't understand how it happened. And the same thing happened a couple of minutes before, after I can't remember with the big second row uh, Arnold yeah. who knocked himself out. Or oh, I can't remember if it's the shoulder or something. But he stayed on the floor, start try to get back up, and you know you do those couple of steps back and he stays stayed in there because his brother got injured what after 10 minutes of the game or something like that so there's a sense of me oh, we can't really afford to lose another lock or something and he stayed on and that, that was just yeah that, that pissed me off a bit because i think you you final not final you need to take care of the boys and max Medal was in serious trouble and apparently he's fine now and i'm delighted to say obviously botia didn't mean to hurt him and he tried to chop it in half and you're allowed to do that but just just not that high and johnny hindsight's a wonderful thing but apart from the red card the incident was it a selection gamble that didn't quite pay off because before the red card Botti didn't really look like he was fit I mean I think we know how important he is we may all have picked him but he didn't quite look there did he look the physicality and the edge that he brings he's just so important to them 
And I think if you're the coaching staff and he says, look, I'm ready, I can do this, you absolutely put him in. He's pivotal to how they play. Uh, and he's great. He is great every single week for them. And maybe it's just a case of him being undercooked, not quite having the right reaction times, the quite sharp, the right sharpness. But look, if there's one bloke you don't want to be hit like that by, it's yeah. Botia. Because when he hits, he sticks. And he's so powerful and so strong and so low to the ground. And that, like you said, Benji, like everybody felt it here on TV, like everybody just caved and cringed instantaneously. It was such a big collision. And I actually thought the refereeing team did a really good job. Like I think initially he was yellow carded for not being back 10 meters for the quick tap. Was that right? Yeah. So it was actually the team that was in the bus, the ref team that picked up and said, no, no, you have to go back and look at this. But look, 100%, he has to go off the pitch straight away. Like that is one of the biggest we've ever seen. <laughs> the protocols are there in place for a reason. The rules are there in place for a reason to protect the headspace and to protect against these knocks. And look, I just hope he's okay now. It was absolutely colossal. Ronan Nogara answered the question perfectly, didn't he? And I thought it was pretty ballsy of him, to be fair. He said what you said, John. He said, listen, it's probably my fault. He wasn't ready, but he's my star player. I wanted to give it a shot. And obviously he wanted to overcompensate maybe his, his few mistakes by breaking, you know, one mega tackle that you know that it hits one player, but it affects the whole Toulouse side. And Ronald Ogara almost raised his hand at the end, said that it's on him, really. Look, that's it. We've all been in that position. You're undercooked. You're going to the game. You don't have your rhythm. You want to find your way in or make an impact because you're there for a reason. And yeah, massive hit. I don't know what's worse, the hit that you took or the four-day bender he's just been on. I don't know which is going to be worse, but I just hope he's okay. It was a huge collision. And we'll come on to some of the more interesting moments from the game a bit later on. But you mentioned the bender, some of the celebrations from the, the negative to the positive, some of the celebration scenes were pretty special, weren't they? I mean, have you two ever taken ski goggles to, to a rugby game? Those shots <laughs> of Peter Aki. No, that, that picture, I think I, I would frame it. When he's got he's got those those goggles and he's getting champagne burn on him. But listen, we've how many times do we mention Big Joe on this on on this podcast? Probably twenty five times <laughs> every week. Not only did he go steal the you know the the corner the touch corner uh, flag, but then he held it as a flag and he was there on the celebration. I mean, who does that? Nobody's gonna tap on his shoulder. Uh, mate, sorry, could you leave this? That thing is in Toulouse and he's held it the whole time. So the 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 freak of nature, but legend of a boy that he is, Joe. I'm telling you, he will be leading that charge. Remember, I told you my business partner, Julien Marcin's uh, cousin, and he told me Joe slept about half an hour in four days. He's just unmovable, that kid. And, and he will celebrate. But now the celebrations officially took an end uh, last night. Well, let's find out just how good those celebrations were then for Toulouse and have a chat with a man who's rise to the pinnacle of European rugby and to the title of Champions Cup winner. has been about as steep and remarkable as possible, really. Toulouse second row, Thibaut Flamand joins us. And are you still pinching yourself, Thibaut? Can you believe you're a European Cup winner? Uh, not really, no. I'm still, still quite shocked about it, really. still feels weird. And we'll come on to more about your journey a bit later on, but we were just chatting about the photos we've seen of the celebrations, and particularly a guy that we mention every week on the show, Big Joe Takori. Is he still going <laughs> strong? Has he, has he stopped yet? Has he still got the corner flag? Tell us. <laughs> I think he's still he's stronger than ever. <laughs> he's been leading the charge for the last uh, last few days. He's he's impressive to be fair. He's he's impressive on the pitch, off the pitch, uh, on the night out, on the on the shirt, on the sesh. He's he's impressive, truly impressive. Talk us through the past few days, mate. As soon as that final whistle is gone, you straight on the on the plane back to Toulouse and partying in Toulouse, or what's been happening? Um, yeah, no. So on the so first of all, when the after the, the final whistle, like it was just a surreal moment. Uh, just yeah, truly special. Boy, you've probably heard that so many times already, but. Uh, but it really was, and I uh, still can't believe it, it has uh, happened. But yeah, no, so we, uh, 
it all happened really quickly to be fair we uh now we enjoyed a bit ourselves on the pitch did a little uh, uh went around the, the the stadium with the trophy for the fans and everything went into the trading rooms and uh yeah bottles pouring everywhere like music everyone like screaming dancing taking pictures and everything it was absolutely amazing and then oh yeah so we headed to uh to to do straight away but uh but yeah we did have a good time like on the plane as well and it's been really non-stop for like three days so uh so yeah it's been huge absolutely huge and did you have your ski goggles packed as well in your bag or was that just peter <laughs> Aki and charlie family <laughs> no i didn't i didn't i wasn't aware of that thing going on but yeah they, they all they all were ready for this apparently <laughs> and your timing's been impeccable because obviously france has just opened up so bars and restaurants you can actually go out and have a beer so have you managed to get into the mixer in toulouse and actually go out and mix with people and celebrate with everyone Probably not as much as we would uh, have liked, but uh, but we did have a, have a really good time. We when we arrived in Toulouse, uh, so uh, Saturday night, uh, we uh, there was like an event at the club going on, and uh, yeah, a lot of people, mostly like families and friends, and uh, so that was great. And then the the next day, obviously, all the the bars were open, so uh, uh, everyone was like at some bars in uh, in Toulouse, uh, chez, chez Tonton, which is a famous one uh, in uh, in Toulouse, and, uh, and then we all gathered again at the. Um, at a restaurant, uh, like a nice terrace and everything. And uh, we just stayed there for the whole day. Literally just stayed there the whole day. And that was great. Really good. Really good to uh, to share. And then yesterday we went to um, to the beach. Um, there was like a beach bar thing. And we, we spent the day there. And yeah, we could mix a bit with, with people and stuff like, yeah, as I said, like not as much as we would have loved. But uh, but yeah, it was, it was still really good. And Big Joe took the corner flag from Twickenham. Did you get a souvenir or not? <laughs> no, I didn't take any anything physical. But yeah, it was funny to see him care. Like he kept, he like he wouldn't let go. <laughs> he wouldn't let go. He kept saying, "Like on the plane." And yeah, he's 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 a funny character. I was right on the pitch when you guys finished, basically in that little corner when he got kicked out. It took him about sixty seconds to realize that he's won and that oof, I need a trophy. And he turned around and he picked it up. It was like into everybody still jumping in the air, you know, hugging each other, and they couldn't believe what what they've just done. And Joe, animal instinct, he's like oof. I need, I need to get myself a trophy because they're going to be a massive piss up and I need something special. And he already went to, to steal it. No, mate, it was, it was absolutely spectacular. And to be honest, I think you can, you can be proud because if, if you and Guillaume Marchand and all those boys don't sprint really, really quick for that last ruck, where explain to me how did you guys almost cock it up again by thinking that the yeah, game is finished and there's still five seconds to go. I'm like, come on, not again. But you guys sprinted back and you did well. So listen, when you needed to deliver, you deliver that last ruck. Uh, BT Sport were trying to say that there were 700 penalties in that ruck. I didn't see any. And to be honest, you need to have a massive set of balls from the from Luke Pierce to actually blow that one there. But fair play, you were there at the right time. Yeah, yeah, no, that was a that was a really tricky one. Obviously, we saw we saw the things the we saw that happening, and we all like sprinted in there because we thought, fuck, now we can't. This can't happen, surely. And uh, so Romain heard, yeah, it's finished. But Peter was saying, uh, you've got these left, so 10 seconds left. And Rom, I think, understood it's finished. So, uh, so it was based on a language barrier thing. And so, uh, so Rome asked for the ball to uh, to Antoine, and uh, and Toto passed him the ball. And then, thankfully, he did look at the at the board oh and realized God. that <laughs> that it wasn't on. And uh, and fuck it, when we saw that happen, it was like, nah, we, we just like we have to throw the last last bit of energy we have. Like everything has to go into that ruck. I'm listening to you to this guy uh, Johnny, and I think I'm gonna have to push him down the stairs because his English is absolutely yeah, impeccable. <laughs> you're finished. You, you're gonna you're, you're gonna be mate. You you've got ten years, and then you're gonna be stepping on in my boots. Right? I was the only guy who could speak decent <laughs> English. You're gonna actually, you know, tu vas me couper les sous le pied. Explain to me how a guy, my neighbor, well, my neighbor, there's two two houses between us. It's a guy called Max who plays ten and twelve. Who was with you at Loughborough Uni? Who's now playing oh, yeah. at Tunbridge Wells? And explain to me how. 
I coach from time to time a guy, you know, who's 30, who lives, who plays in Tunbridge mm-hmm. Wells. And then I'm speaking to you and you just, you just won the fifth star for, for the Stade Toulouse and Jersey for the Champions Cup final. I'm sure you could write a book about it, but how, how does that story go? No, I think it's just a, it's a long-term, uh, long-term vision, really. I've always wanted to be a professional uh, rugby player, like since I was 10 years old. And all my, all my life decisions were based on that. And um, so when I decided to go study in the UK, that was, that was the, the reason. Because uh, it was the only possibility for me to, to, I mean, the only option to possibly have a chance of, uh, of, of turning pro afterwards. And uh, so, yeah, long-term vision. And uh, then, yeah, a lot of hard work and fights, all the, all the cliche things, but like, yeah, hard work, sacrifices. And, uh, and yeah, and I've been lucky to, uh, to, to live different adventures, particularly the one in Argentina that really switched something uh, in me. And uh, I think I've been lucky to meet the right people at the right moments and, uh, and everything just clicked really. But yeah, it's all, it's all been a lot of work for a very long time, like a very, very long time. And uh, yeah, I'm just grateful that it finally happened and I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it. When you made that move to Loughborough, was that because none of the academies in the top 14, none of the academies in France would snap you up? Um, pretty much. But like, I mean, I didn't even, even, even ever consider going into an academy in France because I, I was nowhere. I was playing fly half like uh, at 18 in Brussels. Like uh, I was farming. I had no, no chance. I, I tried to... Um, there was a selection process going on at Stade Francais with like uh, for under 15s. And um, it was at the time where like rugby was all about phys- physique and everything. And um, and so, uh, you know, you fit in a form saying, okay, how much you measure, what's your weight and everything. And the, the guys just replied straight away, like, don't bother coming. Like, we just, uh, he, he's, he's not in the criteria we're looking for. So it's not going to happen. Staying in Belgium was not an option because the, the rugby, like, found the way they play rugby was not what I was uh, looking for. I was looking for something more, more serious and more professional. In France, uh, it was either like studies or uh, rugby and to go into rugby you must have like you needed to have like a certain level or be like in the Pôle Espoir or, uh, or Pôle France or uh, already already the academy set up and the UK was the only option with uh, with, uh, with the universities having a lot of teams and um, and having playing like uh, have teams that are playing at a good level and yeah so that's why I decided to go to the UK really You mentioned it there you were a fly half Yeah <laughs> Played in what the Loughborough fifth team as a fly half to begin with then you moved to sec- so how does the move to second row um, so actually, so I uh, so I was playing fly half until until the moment I joined the, the uni. So at uni, I played. Uh, this is the moment where I started to play second row. But um, there was a tricky one actually because when I arrived at the university, so there was uh, there was some selection uh, process going on to enter the club, which I wasn't aware of at the beginning. So I was like, I've chosen a university to play rugby at. <laughs> I might not even make it. So uh, so uh, so I'm glad I did make it in the end. But um, so yeah, so the, the selection process was divided between forwards and backs, and uh, obviously I. At the time, I was a back, but knowing I had more like the the size of uh, the the height of a um, of a second row, so I went to see the the first team director. I was like, "Listen, this is my context. Like, uh, what do you reckon?" And so I started going in the in the forwards thing, and then kept um, and then started playing the second row uh, since then. And at the beginning, it was quite special. Like, it felt like starting a a new sport, really, because obviously I was playing in very different positions on the pitch, very different scenarios. But it was great to uh, to have like my experience of playing fly half, like the you know, when you do like a little part of three forwards off a rock, like I was playing them like a 2v1, two, two trying to play the ball as much as I could. But since then, I really, really enjoyed it, really. I'm not missing playing for a half. Like I really enjoy playing for a row. So, uh, so yeah, happy days. It's a hell of a story, mate. Uh, and to jump <laughs> then from Loughborough into Wasps, where you had some game time, and then obviously the scouting network at Toulouse picks you up, phones Ugo Mola and says, you have to look at this guy, bring him over, you sign, 
and a year later you've won the biggest competition in Europe. Like yeah, still competing. Some, it's absolutely like something that I played I for 16 years tried, got absolutely nowhere year, and you've nailed it in year one or two. Like it's insane. How does it feel? Like I know you're in a team with Dupont and Intermac, and it must feel almost like it's been very easy and it must have come easy, but you now must look around and think, what else can we do? Look at the crop of people and the players we've got. How exciting is it to be part of it all? It's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. And like, it's, uh, it's obviously a really, really tough thing to do. But yeah, when you look at the, at the quality of the players and the, the depth of the, um, of the squad that we have, like, uh, we do have a, a chance to, uh, to take a, a good shot. And, uh, and yeah, it happened. And, um, but I think, yeah, there's just a, a really good group of guys. And I, I was really surprised actually when I arrived in Toulouse by the, the way the club is, uh, is run. I think that's one true power that the club has. And well, obviously I haven't played in, uh, in 30,000 clubs in, uh, in, in France or Europe, but like it, it seems to me that it's a very special club. And at the beginning, I was quite impressed really of how, how the club was functioning and running. And I'm, I think I'm starting to, to understand how, how the, the, the club is winning so much because it's, it truly is a special club. And we've all mentioned the journey there. It is, Benji said a film will be made about it. It probably will be one day. It sounds incredible. But the way you've had to come over to England, back yourself, graft, Johnny mentioned there, Nottingham, you play at Wasps for a year. You've clearly had this self-belief all the way along. I know you've been celebrating for three or four days. It probably hasn't sunk in properly yet. But have you had a chance to just sit back and reflect a little bit or speak to those close to you and just just all that graph that you've been through that journey and have you had a chance yeah, yeah. to reflect on moments uh, like uh, it's when big things happen like uh, like three days ago that I, that I really can look back and say wow this happened when I joined the club here I was like oh, okay so this happened as well but yeah at the same time like it's uh, so you mentioned self-belief and I think that's that's something for some reason I've had for a very long time and uh, I remember actually when my uh, it's actually a, a bit funny story but like in my I remember my first ever game for Loughborough Fit so I was uh, on the bench uh, so in the fifth team as a second row so it was really the last <laughs> the last resource for the club and uh, and for some reason I was in that bus going to the game and uh, I was looking by the window and I was like it's not a vision but I just thought like I'm in this position now but for some reason I know that in my final year at Loughborough I'll be in the first team and I'll be thinking of that moment where I was on that bus for my first game being on the bench uh, in second row and and for some reason it did happen, but like, I don't know. I just believed it, and uh, and uh, and yeah, I think it's a uh, it's something that is very uh, very powerful to uh, to have the self belief, and I think that's something that I really, uh, well, all the power, the mental power, that's something that I really kind of like. Obviously, not fully discovered, but uh, saw like um, more of it when I was in Argentina, where I, I saw like how how if you could play with uh, with you, play with yourself, and understand how you are and how you need to be to achieve things, and uh, and things do happen afterwards. And it's truly amazing. So on these moments, I I, I do reflect on, on what happened. But yeah, hopefully there's, there'll be some more uh, some more nice memories to make. You mentioned that year in Argentina a couple of times. As a second row, when you were at Loughborough and then you went to, it was Newman, wasn't it, in Buenos Aires? Yeah. Was that a really pivotal, formative year in your in your career? Oh, 100%. I think it was the most decisive year of my life, basically. Um, not just realistically, but uh, on a personal level, um, more than anything. But uh, yeah, it was the whole, that whole year was an adventure, really. I mean, I arrived in Argentina. I didn't have a placement. I didn't have a place to stay. I knew no one. The only thing I had was uh, the contact of, uh, so three coaches at Loughborough. So George Shooter was coach at Loughborough. He, uh, he knew very well Marcos Yarza from, uh, from Leicester, who did play, um, who used to play at, uh, at Newman. 
So you put me in contact with Marco Sierza, who put me in contact with the club. And so the only thing I have derived was a rugby club and uh, and someone picking and the manager of the club picking me up at the uh, at the airport on uh, on my arrival. So that's how the whole year started. And uh, and then just being like, you know, being by myself, like uh, for the first time of my life, not following like um, you know school hours or uni courses or. Or uh, I just like had the occasion to uh, to do what I felt and what I wanted, and, uh, and that was quite special. And then like so, I did eventually. I found a placement, and, um, and the rugby club uh, went really well and everything. And then yeah, I just kept having that self belief and uh, and wanted to work really hard. But also like the way I saw the people playing rugby in Argentina was uh, was really special. They were because I realized at some point like okay, I'm working this hard, but like on the pitch, I'm not really enjoying myself. Like uh, I'm putting maybe too much pressure. Like it's not uh, it's not going that well. And I saw my friends who were like not as serious and not as concerned about it, but they're just having a great time and uh, and yeah, have a good game and everything. And so this is where I started thinking, oh, okay, maybe I need to change this and that and approach the thing like this and not like that and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so the mixture of like the, the good the good physical preparation I had, the mental switch I had during the, that season, I started moving up in the teams and uh, enjoying myself much more. And uh, and everything started uh, switching to one, uh, towards uh, enjoying myself and having try to contribute to the team and have the, the best time possible. And, uh, and, and then, yeah, I went through the, through the teams and, uh, and everything kicked on to there. How old are you? <laughs> 24. Bloody hell. <laughs> Some life. <laughs> mate, you've got a lifetime of memories. It's absolutely phenomenal what you've done, mate. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's, it's great to see that you're so humble by the fact that, you know, you just learn everywhere that you go and you need to get better. And how do I get better? I learn from others. And, There'll be loads of guys who come from professional setups who rock up in Newman because I've been to Newman to Marcos. I played with him two years at Leicester and I was there for his wedding. Went to visit the club. Oh, it's, amazing. It's, it's, not, it's not the same. Huh? It's beautiful. <laughs> it's all wooden cabins everywhere and, and stuff, but yeah. it's amateur rugby from, from Argentina. And, 100%. you know, they don't touch it. They look at the weights, but they don't touch them. And it's complete, It's a completely different mindset. And so for you not to be, you know, to like be snobbish or whatever, say, what is this professional setup? And you just went there to get what you wanted to build yourself as a, as a human, as a man. And then obviously that was going to replicate on, on, on the pitch for you and fair play to you. It's well-deserved. You just worked hard for it and now you're, you're getting the results. I've always believed that there's a lot of things to take from, uh, from every uh, individual, really from any person, any, any situation. And, uh, and from Argentina, I definitely took a lot. Uh, there was a lot to learn. And uh, as I said, like more in the, the way they approach the, the sports and the, the passion they have, the, the fraternity, the found all the human values that they had, it was really embodied in the club, and it was amazing to be to be part of that and to uh, to be part of that family really. And I think for the it was the the first time like uh, as a not full grown up but like, as a more mature person that I was playing uh, in a family. You know the the love of the shirts and um, and the passion for the game and everything that I've I've lived moments there like. Uh, some emotional things, and that's that's some things that we talk about with the two so there's two Argentine players and in the Toulouse squad, and that's something we I've, I've told them a few times. Like I've lived the some emotions I've lived there uh, in Argentina are the most uh, most powerful ones I've ever lived in my life. And you mentioned throughout all of this journey, you always had it in your mind that you wanted to get back to the top fourteen. How did that move come about? And, and Toulouse is about as special a club as you can go to. So how did the move to Toulouse come about? Was that the perfect one for you? Yeah, well, uh, so when I came back from Argentina, I had my final year of study to do. Then I was looking to go back to France, but it didn't really, didn't really click for a few reasons. But uh, then Watts approached me, and then uh, and then finally, uh, after a few months playing at Watts, I met uh, Pierre Broncan, who was uh, an ex-Toulouse coach and working at the time at Bath as a defense coach, I think. And yeah, so we just uh, we met at the warm-up uh, before before. So we were playing at home against Bath, and um, so I met him at the warm-up. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, you're French, okay, yeah. So I didn't know who he was. 
And so, uh, so we met, we, we had a little chat, the warm up, then, uh, the game happened. And, uh, and then we, uh, we stayed in contact a bit on LinkedIn at the beginning and then we, uh, exchanged our numbers and, uh, and he said, yeah, if at some point you, uh, you want to come over, uh, to visit the training center or, uh, you know, have a chat at some point uh, with pleasure, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and the occasion happened, uh, so I had a little, little injury. So I went to see him and then, so he spoke to Toulouse, uh, about me. And then I remember receiving that, uh, that message from, uh, from Hugo, like, uh, I think it was in November, 20, 2019. So, uh, and he sent me that message. Yeah, this is Hugo from Toulouse. Uh, voilà, if you're available for a quick chat, we'd like to talk about your future. So yeah, receiving that text was, uh, was magical. So yeah, it was just actually when I, when I re, re-explained the story, like it's actually crazy how quickly everything happened from Argentina to Loughborough to Wasp to Toulouse, like in, uh, in literally two years, well, now it's been the same gap between uh, two years ago and now winning the, the European Cup, but uh, everything happened so quickly. How angry is Bronken going to be now that you're at Toulouse and he's at Cast and he's the head coach there? <laughs> he's going to be raging <laughs> that he gave you a leg up in Toulouse. Mate, it's awesome. It's an amazing story. I wanted to ask you simply, what countries are you qualified to play for internationally? You mentioned Belgium, you've mentioned England, and obviously you're now in France. So where are you qualified to play? If you're going to, like, you seem like such a level-headed bloke, I've commented on your game so far this year. Like, I think you're destined for massive things if you keep going the way you're going. So which way is your head? Like, If you're looking at international honours, which I'm sure the way you've talked about being on the bus for the fifths at Loughborough and fighting for higher honours, I'm sure it's only going to go one way. Which way is your head leaning? Where would you like to represent? No, I'm, I'm, I'm French, so uh, my, my dream is to play for France. It's always been my dream. It's a, it's a dream, it's an objective, and uh, and uh, yeah, I hope it will happen one day. Well, mate, I saw this morning Fabian Galti is drafting a 60-man squad for Australia, so keep your phone on. <laughs> Coming into Toulouse and being surrounded by legends, like the legacy the club has, the history, the, the trophies that they've won, but also in your position, you, you come in, you come off the bench in a cup final, but you've also can undertaken an apprenticeship underneath Joe Takori, who's probably old enough to be your dad, and the Arnold bros, who the twins, who, look, are two of the best in their field. So they must add completely different things, but those guys and the different things that they add, what they like to be around and what are you picking up from them? Because they're absolutely world-class and they're superstars. No, it's uh, it's, uh, it's so beneficial, but uh, you cited uh, players in the second row, but there could be so many, like uh, I really like working with, uh, with Jerome Kano as well. Um, there's so, many, so much to learn from, from all these players, but uh, yeah, from Takori, I think it's, I love his uh, his human approach to the to the club. Like he's a true he's Well, you probably uh, heard that a few times, but he's uh, the the father of the of the club. Where he he yeah, he's got the the great values and he's an impressive human uh, more than a, an impressive uh, player. Like he's truly impressive, and it's great to be to be around him and to uh, to see how how he approaches things, how he talks to the group, how he leads the group, how he uh, uh, goes up to the coaches, uh, talks with them, and uh, maybe confront them at some points. So, but at the same time, you know, he's a, he's a, like a team member, like uh, he's, uh, he's good in the changing room, like, uh, you know, like uh, he's good uh, on the celebration, like he's just everywhere. So it's, no, it's absolutely amazing to be, to be around him and, uh, and the two other brothers as well, like two great characters as well. And perhaps a bit more um, my, my profile of a uh, player uh, um, and, uh, and it's great to be learning from them, uh, especially like all the, in all the Lila, that's a, that's a massive um, area of improvement for me in terms of calling the line out and uh, so it's great to be uh, around them to to learn from that and even in the in the game style in the the activity activity they have in the, on the field like it's it's great to see how they uh, how they play how they approach um, the certain aspects of the game the the level of uh, combativity they they put in the game we have to just quickly ask you about joe i mean we've we've spoken about him already we've spoken about the celebrations you mentioned how impressive he is in all those different arenas you mentioned it yourself on a night out you've got a lot of self belief 
Can you keep pace with Big Joe or not? <laughs> Honestly, being uh, being totally realistic, I think it's very hard to keep pace with Dutch uh, <laughs> Curry. He is he is a machine. Honestly, I don't know how he does it. Honestly, he just he just smashes it. <laughs> he's, he's too good. Someone told us that. Um, Jin was his kryptonite, didn't they? I think it was Census Johnson who said that. But I know for a fact that Census Johnson would 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 buckle in front of Joe Dickory. So he's probably <laughs> saying that out of, out of pure jealousy. I, I, I've tried many, many times. He he will uh, wobble, but he will never fall. He's impressive. Honestly, he drinks anything, anytime, any amount. He's, he's a machine. In terms of this week's celebration, mate, give us the podium. Who are the three that have gone the hardest and ended up in the worst state? Who's been... Your gold, silver, and bronze. We, we've seen Peter. We've seen some of the celebrations, but who has properly let loose and celebrated this the most? One of them that actually comes to my mind, like uh, is uh, Yannick Uyut. Uh, you probably saw the the pictures of him when we when we left Toulouse before going to uh, to London. Like he was leading the charge. Like it was impressive. You, if you haven't, there there are some pictures on uh, on internet. It's absolutely impressive. He's a he's a great character, and he's really good friends with Joe as well. Like they're, they're quite similar on that aspect. But uh, no, obviously. So uh, Joe has been uh, has been very very strong. Cyril Bay as well has been uh, has been doing really well. Uh, has been smashing it a lot. Um, and uh, now Romain Tamak as well, who has been really good. Uh, Richie Arnold as well. Now the two brothers actually. There's a good group of like 10, 15 uh, that hasn't stopped for like three days. <laughs> it's, it's, it's impressive. Yeah, it was just nonstop for three days, and yeah, I love it. <laughs> I just love it. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Timo. It's been amazing to hear about your journey and the celebrations. And judging by the looks on Johnny and Benji's faces throughout this, it's been like listening to a film, really, if that's possible, a film script. So um, sign us up. We're, we'll invest <laughs> in the watch film. It. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. It was a pleasure to meet you guys. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully see you soon. Thank you very much. And on top of that, he's polite and nice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's is lovely. Freak of nature, this guy. Well done. Take a bow, mate. <laughs> well, bloody hell. Congratulations, Steve. Thanks for coming on, mate. Enjoy the rest of the celebrations. That was awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. My man. What I mean, a boy. Ben, you're out of work, mate. You <laughs> keep going until he retires, and then you're done. Like, one one thousand percent. He's he's already he's only twenty four. He's got a shit ton of stuff. I thought I traveled, just you know, had a vision in his head. I think that's absolutely outstanding. It just proves, you know, that the the bigger men make bigger players, and then that's really what's got him there to to his level. It's his dedication, that resilience, that that graft with a pretty level headed. Um, I mean, he mentioned that he kept up his studies and stuff. Like this. it's it's a uh, it's Smart a dream boy, come eh? true story, and it's bloody brilliant. Fair play for Toulouse for spotting. Sure, I mean, yes, of course, he's a very good player, but it's not like you spotted, you know, the 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 Elizabeth. You weren't going going to look, you know, for the ginormous sort of over physical second row. So you saw also had to spot his ability of ball handling, his ability in the lineout, his ability to cover a lot of ground, and his ability just to be a smart dude on the pitch. And, Mate, and that's what they spotted. Well, done. that is it. It is his smarts. That is exactly why he's now standing. The fact that you can convert from standoff and become what I like, I, I watched him against. It was cast to lose maybe four or five weeks ago. I was like, that kid's going to be in the French team. He can call a line out. He can ball, He can offload. He can pass. He can run. He can do everything. And he's a smart, diligent, hardworking kid. He's amazing. Like, unbelievable story. Mate, he's 100% going to... I don't want to put too much pressure on, but if Fabian Galti is looking at the next generation, who to bleed in for the next potentials for 2023, mate, 100%. If you're looking for a smart bloke that can pick things up quickly absorb different skill sets and become a leader quickly, there's your man. What a boy.
But also in this ultra professional era, we won't see many stories like that again, Benji. And exactly as an inspiration to guys playing at Tunbridge Wells or wherever they're playing, like so many, when he was detailing his story there, so many chance meetings before the game at Bath with... I don't believe in chance. I really believe in in preparation, meeting and an opportunity. Oh, he's taken his chances, hasn't he? But the way it's kind of mapped out. And and, and he's built them. He's pushed for them. Uh, I mean, how many guys would have got to to Loughborough and after six months would be like, listen, I'm on the bench playing second round of 15. I'm gone. You'd be on the beers. And they just give up or or you just give up and you leave. But on top of that, he's stuck with his his studies. And the only reason why he went to Argentina is because he had that year away that he needed to do. That means he got to third year of his studies. So he still passes grades and all that then to go to art may he could have gone anywhere in the world if you're a bit of a not a bit of a wanker you know but if you're like a 21 year old <laughs> and you want and you want to have a fun i don't think argentina will be your go-to i would love argentina and stuff but you need to know your rugby but you could go to the states you can go to australia in england everybody goes to australia everybody does like six months in nz or australian stuff because there's the sun and there's no language barrier he decided to actually challenge himself with another language barrier because he's not even a full english speaking from from the get-go so he's just, yeah, smart, brave. And like you said, Tim, if it can show to anyone, if you have a dream and you believe hard, rugby is one of those sports where a few different pathways can get you there, right? Outstanding sort of um, technical ability is absolutely necessary if you're going to play certain positions, 9, 10, and whatever. For others, let's face it, you can compensate pretty quick. And so you could basically start with one sport and go to another. What you what you need to have is a massive heart, a will to work, be open-minded and humble enough to actually get, you know, be resilient and dust yourself off and, and go go again. And that's what he's done. So I, I totally agree with you. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant example of how rugby can be full of different characters because big characters make better, better players. They really do. And just going back to the game, he was there at the end, Thibaut, to seal the deal. We talked about the red card earlier on. We shouldn't have been surprised, should we, about how well La Rochelle coped with being down to 14 men. Obviously, the, there's the story of Ronan O'Gara when he was at Racing, the top 14 final, 2016, Maxime Machineau gets sent off. They win. Was any part of you surprised by how well they dealt with it? I think there's two, there's two things. If you position yourself as in La Rochelle seat, then you're like, oh, how do we deal with this? But there's also the main mistakes that all the teams do when they're one man up, so typically Toulouse, it is like we need to overplay, overstress ourselves, try to kill the game within the next 10 minutes. Whereas he got expelled the 25th minute. There's still a bloody long time on the clock to go, right? It's not like it's the last moment. And the classic mistake is they all just chuck the ball around. It's one more. One more is a hell of a lot, but it's not that much, you know? And and so the classic mistake I think that what that Toulouse did well is that they didn't they basically stuck to their plan. They played absolutely identical, whether there was one man warm or not. But you could know that in the back of their mind that you're going to grind them. There's going to be the extra effort element and this and that. The only thing that I thought they could have done is that there's one or two opportunities where you could just play the overlap that's in front of you, expose yourself a tiny bit more. That's why we saw La Rochelle coping so long. So basically, I think La Rochelle did really well. But Toulouse on purpose did not try to change anything to their strategy and they just picked and they were patient enough and smart enough to pick that one opportunity they had, which was that beautiful pass of Romain Tamak and then Tolo Fua back inside to Malia. But let's not forget that there's a crazy, amazing, uh, good cover tackle from Geoffrey Doumerou who picks up Chelsea and Colby a meter from the line where everybody thought he scored. And if he scores that in the first half, then it's a different game. I think as well, you have to congratulate some of the key players from La Rochelle. So even a man down, like you think of the performance of Antonio, 
like scrum time around the pitch, the physicality, Bugarit, Dumaru, you mentioned, like some of their boys were absolutely phenomenal. And I think we touched on it right at the start. It wasn't a, I think if it'd been a classic top 14 game, it would have opened up and Toulouse maybe kicked into another gear, start pushing offloads, find gaps and they run away with it. But it was such an arm wrestle. It was such a dogfight. Like the contest on the ground, massive men trying to slow the ball down. Everything was a shit fight. And La Rochelle stuck in it. Like the, the difference in the end for me came down to a kicking battle where Intimat takes away 100% of his shots at goal and, and West unfortunately lets a couple slip. Otherwise, it could have quite easily have had a 14-man La Rochelle side playing with 60 minutes. They could have come away and won that game. Like the dog, the organization, the structure and the scrap that they showed to stay in it with 14 men for that length of time was hugely impressive. They'll take away quite a bit of belief. Actually, do you know what? Like we can match it. We've played Toulouse before in top 14. We absolutely can do this. They've got a side. That they're not going to lose many players over the next season or two, I don't think. Many key players, they're going to add a bit of talent. So look, they should absolutely take confidence from where they've been, the grind that they've been and the fact that they probably could have edged it even with 14 blokes. I think they'll make a real tilt now at this top 14 title, coming away from that thinking we can really do this. And you mentioned that Johnny Ehi West. He was superb in the semi-final. Mate, he's amazing. He signed a new contract after that semi-final as well. He's it amazing. feels cruel to to mention him, but obviously he did leave eight points out there. <laughs> I suppose the style of fly half that he is, is not one that you would ordinarily look at Ronan O'Gara and think those two... He's not, he's not the same well, kind of player as Ronan was. So, But, but you say that, but Ronan Nagara has obviously changed and evolved and been exposed to different cultures and different ways of playing. He's been at Racing, he's been at Crusaders. So it's not the kick, clap, kick tight corners, kick your goals rugby that we saw in Munster. Like Ronan Nagara has added masses to himself and his rugby IQ and his knowledge. Um, and look, there's no, I cannot sit here and Benji can't, we can't criticise kickers. We've never put ourselves in that position or taken on that kind of pressure. It is something we've never done. And I love him as a player. I think he's absolutely terrific and quite rightly, as the shift has gone, there's, there's a lot of non-G players moving out of the top 14. I think he's pivotal to a lot of what is absolutely great about La Rochelle. And look, it's one of those, it's a big moment and a massive platform and it's just slipped, but he's converted 99.9 of every other chance he's had for in the top 14 with La Rochelle since he's been here. So it's one of those games, it's gone now, but as I said, with him moving forward, They've got a massive tilt now at the top 14 title. I think they will take a lot from that game with him because um, he's outstanding and, and there's no reason why they can't kick on and win that one now. And I don't know what more we can say about him, but Antoine Dupont was named European Player of the Year after the game. He stood out again, didn't he, Benji? Well, I, don't, I actually don't think he had the best game, but because there was nothing really much for him to do, to be honest. He was industrious, wasn't he? He made, made a lot of tackles, carries, that kind of yeah. thing. But. I, he, he, he's always, I think it was more to to celebrate his, his entire competition and to be fair, he's added a few strings to, you know, to to his, his capacity. This is the, you're always asking yourself, where the hell is he going to stop? I mean, he, he yeah, he can tackle, he can, he can cover tackle, he can compete on the floor. And I'm thinking, yeah, even in a game that's tight and it's not particularly open, you just need a grafter. He can be the grafter. If you want the electric off the base pace, Everything. Um, dynamic number nine, he can do it. If you want the single, the Mike Phillips who can hand off, you know, big fellas and actually create breaks on his own, he can do it. He's a and, and now his kicking game, his kicking game that, he, that Toulouse used a hell of a lot to get out of the long half and stuff was spot on during the whole game. Mm. And those, those little key moments when La Rochelle did not get out of their half uh, as well uh, were, were problematic. So 
apart from the tiny little brain fart that they had again, four seconds from from the final whistle of the biggest games of their lives, uh, he he did outstandingly well. You know, of course, he's a beautiful European Player of the Year. Did you see the offload that he threw when he was being taken out like the trash by Big Will Skelton? <laughs> did you see that? Again, just the presence of mind, the timing, the rugby nice. Mate, he's got everything. And look, from one week to another, we talk about his acceleration or his handoff or his tackle break or his kicking game. And you just like, you think you're going to run out of stuff. And then this week, he played like an extra back rower. Like those times we played against Mike Phillips, you'd sometimes he'd talk about being an extra back rower for a laugh because he was tall. But Antoine Dupont actually this weekend was smashing boys, competing for ball, repeat efforts, getting back to his feet like a proper set, like just insane. And that's it. It's how many different sides can he show his qualities? He can do absolutely everything on rugby field. And that's why maybe it wasn't the most standout glittering performance, but absolutely you can appreciate what he does on rugby field. Every single different week, there's something to, to, to applaud. He's just superb to watch. And quite rightly, it wasn't the, the most spectacular final, but absolutely, quite rightly, the European player there. He was terrific again. And we mentioned the Challenge Cup final a little bit earlier on. You were there, Benji. Your old club, Leicester, should they have taken the points a little bit more? Uh, they dominated in the forwards for quite long periods. It, will they look at it as one that got away? I'd say so. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. It's it's not so much taking the points. I just thought they, they, they could have taken the chance and attack a little bit more because when they did, they were actually pretty lethal, put Montpellier into a world uh, under a world of pain, but they just didn't convert their opportunities. There's like a passage of play of 10 minutes before halftime where they really are pounding on the line. And, and just when you repeat that and repeat that and repeat that, that's when I saw Eddie Jones sort of league style uh, type of running and stuff. And that's what I thought was very impressive. But Look, it's like they absolutely demolished them in the front. And I don't know if you remember, but at one point, there's a driving mole, a dummy driving mole, and they actually shifted to Ben Youngs, who did really well when he came on, added a lot of pace to the game. And he's trying to find... Ben Youngs went full tilt at the back of the line out where everybody thought it was driving mole. So the defense of Montpellier was already a little bit consumed in there. And he's just looking for Nadolo at the shoulder. Except he looks, he looks, Nadolo is six meters behind him. So he gives it behind, and Nadolo... So you're like, you know, all that effort and all that grind to actually go through something, but you're not doing things in the most efficient way. So it, it was very frustrating to see them do do that. I mean, I was commentating and next to me, there was Benny K, Hugo Modio. And I was looking at Benny. I was like, bloody, I was like showing my foot. like, tell him to stop kicking. And he's <laughs> like, well, you know, we can't do anything about it. So no, it's a shame. But listen, in, in the whole, in the long run, Leicester still, it was the first final at all for the last, what, six years or seven years or eight years or something. So it's a fantastic way of gradually getting back at it. Maybe Borthwick is deciding that strategy because he thinks that the boys still need to, to build gradually and get better. And they really are getting better. And, and, and I'm delighted to see it. And on the flip side, Montpellier, obviously you mentioned the emotional scenes at the end for them. We've also chatted about this in previous weeks. Is Philippe, going to keep the tracksuit on or is he going to kick back and relax he now? He, he was actually almost not, not gutted at all, but it's not <laughs> what he wants. It's not what he wants. Now they've signed Bruce Rihanna, uh, the former Northampton Saints guy in Bristol and all that. So he's going to come in to take care of the skills. Olivier Azam and Jean-Baptiste Elisa are sitting in there and then Philippe because at the moment Franck is not happening. Franck Azema. So they can't agree on uh, on a transfer, not a transfer fee, but like on a fee. 
Um, and so they've called it quits. And because they're doing well, then the Montpellier president is like, well, you know, wh why would I break the bank? So yes, of course, Philippe says he doesn't want to do it, but he'll do it. Uh, I think it will just be a, a bit of a tricky one. If things don't go absolutely uh, ideally in by November, December, then what do you do then? You can't bring somebody on his own and then you're back to square one. So I just, that's what I think they're, they're making a mistake. But if there's nobody, you're not going to take somebody to for the sake of it. But you've been in this situation before, especially when things aren't going well in a club and they bring in a coach to, it's almost damage limitation. So Philippe Saint-André has come in, he's stripped it back to basics. They seem to be enjoying themselves more and more. And you can see the smile they have on their faces when they're playing and they're stringing together some decent stuff. But ultimately, Philippe Saint-André doesn't want that role and doesn't want to be there and wants to be more managerial post. They're going to have to bring somebody in because there's only so much that that change and the positive effect and the wave that he brings in can last. Yeah, but they can't bring somebody in. Franck is not coming. This is, is done and dusted. Franck would have not come. It all started. They announced it that the, Franck wasn't going after they re-signed Olivier Azam, who's done a great job, who's well-liked within the, the changing room and the club and stuff. But now that both assistant coaches are there, it's game over. Oh, man, it just worries me for Montpellier again. I'm like, it's a band-aid. And to finish on the most positive of all notes, the first time for 24 years since 1997 that French teams have won both the Champions and Challenge Cups. So Benji, just shows how strong French rugby is. Yeah, well, we, we've spoken about this a few, a few times. It's, it's, it's a mix of the difference of, for once, all French clubs properly going at it. And that's a delight. And I, I couldn't be happier. So that's that's the reason number one. The reason number two, to be honest, and we just need to be fair to say it, Saracens are in second division. I'm not saying they would have been in the final, but they would have been serious challengers. It's a mix of those, those two things. Um, and, and that's why it ended up being an absolutely beautiful year. And I'm, I'm, I'm chuffed for it. Hey, it's a great time to be involved. And it's almost the perfect time for somebody to come in and do like a TV deal and put it on British and Irish TV. <laughs> it'd be the perfect, it'd be the icing on the cake. Watch this space. More on that next week. Uh, thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Benji. A massive thanks to Thibaut Flamon for joining us and sharing his incredible journey with us. And thanks to all of you guys for listening as well. Make sure you hit subscribe, leave us a nice review if you can, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers. See you, fellas. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.